Chapter 6 I didn't hear from Vincent until the following day, before meeting him in lab for our paired dream session. He had emailed me to say something came up, which is why he couldn't meet me in the lab the night before. I wondered why he didn't simply text me instead. I had to drag myself to breakfast. I should have probably stayed in bed, but I didn't want to miss the lab session, and I was a little worried Vincent might change his mind about helping me if I didn't talk to him soon. After I'd eaten, I went straight to his room and knocked on the door. When he opened it, I could see the room was dark and he looked much the way he had the first time I came to his room to tell him about the dreams. You look awful, I said. Nice to see you too, he returned. He promptly fell back onto his bed and faced the wall. I hesitated, unsure if I were welcome, but since he neither invited me in nor asked me to leave, I shut the door and pulled up his desk chair so I was sitting nearer to where he lay. Migraine? I asked. He moved his head in assent. Will you be at lab today? Maybe, he mumbled. I sort of assumed the reason he didn't meet me the night before was due to the headache, although I couldn't be sure. I decided not to ask. I'm sorry for getting angry yesterday, I said. I really appreciate what you're doing for me. I know no one else here probably could, or would for that matter. I paused and sighed. If there's anything I can do to help with the process, I will. Just tell me. I need to get rid of these nightmares. I need to be able to sleep again. I allowed some desperation to be evident in my voice. It was no exaggeration that I'd been suffering from sleep deprivation and mental weariness. Vincent was quiet. I determined it might be better to leave and give him time to think instead of press him any further. I hope you feel better soon, I said, as I got up and pushed his desk chair back where it belonged. Then I left his room. I wanted to believe that the reason I went to see Vincent that morning was purely by way of apology. However, the truth was that I was assuaging my own concerns about his willingness to assist me in my plan. I tried not to think on it any further that morning. By the time lab came, I had no expectation that Vincent would show up. I brought my laptop just in case so I could get work done in Vincent's absence. To my surprise, he did appear just before the session began. You made it, I said, as he took a seat next to me. He didn't look at me. Wouldn't want to deprive you of the chance to make some observations, he answered. Despite my attempt to smooth things over between us, Vincent was giving off a rather arctic vibe. I ignored it and readied myself to view his dreamscape. Our instructor signaled it was time to begin. I was thrown into the unusual state of semi-consciousness the dreamscape program induced in the observer. I traveled through darkness and watched images form as if they were in the back of my mind's eye, merely a shadow of a thought and not yet a true idea. As I fell into Vincent's dreamscape, I was oddly aware of his resistance to me being there. I moved as though against a current of thought, abstract yet cognizable. Also his dreamscape hinted at incompletion, as if he were trying not to dream. Or perhaps he could not fully enter REM in his current mental state. I wondered if his migraine persisted and blocked the program's dreaming function. Then suddenly the dream slammed into clarity. I stood in an open field, the grass an unrealistic green and the sky silver-gray, filled with perilous clouds preluding a storm. I turned to see Vincent standing atop a grassy knoll, dressed as though he were part of a quest. The wind angrily whipped his long black coat and two long curved swords were strapped to his back. He stood motionless, surveying the area, his attention fixed at a cave at the bottom of the hill. With the wind, he was off down the hill, moving faster than anyone possibly could. He practically flew as he ran headlong toward the cave. 
I was close behind, tied to him as it were, by an invisible string. Then, as if someone had clicked skip on a remote, we were inside the cave, creeping slowly, avoiding the creature presiding over that dark place. It knew we had entered. Vincent's body tensed and he reached for his weapons. It was strange. I actually felt Vincent's apprehension. More accurately, I shared it with him. The link we had forged within the program truly joined me to his consciousness, so that although he was unaware of me, I was fully aware of what he felt at that moment. I lingered on that feeling, realizing that I had never felt so fully connected to any human being. The walls of the cave moved aside, rearranging the scene and revealing the monster, which resembled a dragon, now that we could see it for what it was. Vincent braced himself and attacked the creature while I reflected on how much his dreamscape mirrored a video game. Then, just as dreams often change unexpectedly, we emerged from the dragon's cave with no evidence we'd ever entered at all. Vincent had resumed his usual attire and he was seated in his room, working on his computer. His door opened and I watched myself enter the room and sit on his bed. I looked almost doll-like, with porcelain skin and shimmering hair, yet my shoulders sagged in dismay. The Alina I watched in Vincent's dreamscape very obviously didn't want to be there. I sat beside myself on the bed, intrigued and a bit ashamed at how Vincent perceived me. I was abruptly pushed from Vincent's dreamscape, as if by physical force. We had run out of time. The disconnection left me feeling empty and alone, and for a moment, I was overcome by a wave of panic at the realization I would not experience someone else's emotions until I next logged in with Vincent. Confusion followed at this curious response to my involvement in Vincent's dreamscape. I determined it might be best to examine it from a scientific perspective as part of my research. Vincent awoke, pale and still. The hair across his forehead was slightly damp with sweat and his breathing was shallow. He moved as if in pain, but sat up and wasted no time preparing to leave the lab. Wait, I said, grabbing hold of his arm. He visibly winced and squeezed his eyes shut for a moment. Let me help you, I offered. I'm fine, he replied. I'm just going back to my room. Can I come by later, I asked. He nodded, then left without giving me time to say anything else. I sat back in the lab chair and breathed an impatient sigh. That afternoon, I had a mentor meeting scheduled with one of my professors. We met in his office on a bi-weekly basis to discuss my research projects and dissertation plans. I liked Dr. Hammond. He could appear unassuming at times, yet he was straightforward if he thought I was straying off track in my research. He clearly respected his students and had high expectations for our work. Dr. Hammond's office, though small, was clean and organized. He offered me tea or coffee as I took a seat by the window in one of the lounge chairs. I'm fine, thanks, I said. He sat across from me. So how are things lately, he asked, conversationally. He leaned his elbow on the arm of the chair and rested his chin on his hand. Fine, I suppose. I've been buried in work, of course, I said, rolling my eyes good-naturedly. Dr. Hammond smiled and nodded. How's the paired research with Vincent Miller going? I shrugged. Fine. Dr. Hammond was quiet for a moment, like he was waiting for me to continue. Did something happen? he asked me. I was confused. What do you mean? Dr. Hammond swiped a hand across his beard. Vincent requested a lab partner change this morning. I had to force my mouth to stay shut as he told me this. My heart hammered in my chest as I tried not to feel offended by this news. Do you know why he would make such a request? he asked. I shook my head, unable to think of a good reason. As Dr. Hammond pondered this, 
I ran through all the possible explanations for Vincent's request for a new lab partner. I'd apologized to him that very morning for my behavior the previous day. When it came down to it, I didn't think I'd behaved unreasonably to begin with. I was thoroughly frustrated with Vincent's lack of communication and apparent disinterest in our agreement. Well, don't let it bother you. This sort of thing happens sometimes. Maybe he just felt like he wasn't getting anywhere in his research, Dr. Hammond suggested. We moved our conversation forward, but my thoughts stayed fixed on what he had just relayed to me, so much so that I was in a state of agitation for most of the day. I think Evan and Alex could sense my dark mood at dinner, because they sat on either side of me and forced me to watch what they believed were comedic videos on their phone. I found the videos distasteful and difficult to watch, which encouraged the guys even more. They seemed amused at my disgust. As it turned out, they did succeed in lightening my attitude. I was silently grateful to them for making the effort. I'd put off seeing Vincent that day, concerned my hands might accidentally end up around his neck. But eventually I could no longer forestall the inevitable, and at close to 8 p.m. found myself gingerly knocking on Vincent's door. Come in, I heard him say. I swung the door inward as Vincent paused whatever game he was playing on his computer. I sat on the bed. Feeling better? I asked. Yeah, thanks, he replied. The first thing I noticed was that he still avoided eye contact with me. It was obvious he was uncomfortable. So I spoke to Dr. Hammond today, I began. Vincent nodded. Why don't you want to be my research partner anymore? What did I do wrong? I didn't hide my exasperation. I tried to apologize this morning. Vincent finally looked at me. No, it's not that. He fidgeted slightly, then sighed. I just don't want you in my dreamscape anymore, he said. The vague panic I'd felt earlier that morning momentarily surfaced. I pushed it aside. Why not? I thought it was going well. He sighed again. I'm still going to help you, okay? We can go to the lab tonight and work on things. Just don't worry about it. He gave no further explanation, and it was clear that no prodding on my part would induce him to disclose the reason he didn't want me in his dreamscape. As much as I tried not to let it offend me, I was unsuccessful. A wall had grown then that seemed impenetrable, but I surmised that what really bothered me was that he would be free to view my dreamscape while I was forbidden to experience his. Well, I can tell you've got video games on your mind, I commented, aiming to break the ice between us. Your dream was pretty cool. A small smile played on Vincent's lips. That's a recurring dream I sometimes have. The cave is from one of the first games I ever played. I always get excited when I find it in my dream. I smiled, too. It's too bad we couldn't go into my dreamscape armed like that. We could attack those shadows if they tried to come at us. A thoughtful expression took the place of Vincent's smile. You mean like a mod, he speculated. He swung around and punched a password into the keyboard. A mod? Vincent typed for a moment. A modification. You use it to alter a computer game. So if you wanted to make gameplay harder or play with a character you wouldn't normally be able to play with, you could create a modification allowing you to do so. And we could do that with my dreamscape? Well, in a sense, that's what we're doing anyway. I should have thought of adding weapons, though. He frowned and tapped on his keyboard. Let's go to the lab, he said suddenly. Once we arrived in the lab, Vincent had me sit in a chair while he got things ready. He maintained a fixed expression of determination while he worked. It was as though a switch had been flipped in his brain, and he needed to accomplish whatever task he had set out to do. I said nothing as he worked, deciding I would give him the chance to tell me, as I'd requested earlier that day. He came over to me. 
I want to run you through the dream sequence with a trial mod. I'm using one I had saved from a while ago. I think it will work with the program. Okay, what kind of mod is it? It's just a weapons mod. We can change it later after we see whether it will work or not, he explained. Are you going to observe? I asked him. I should stay on the monitor this time, he said. With that, I logged into the program to test the new mod. The dream proceeded as usual, except that at some point I was aware of a foreign object in my hand. Upon closer examination, I found it to be a red-handled katana. Even dreaming, I was puzzled. I think I tried to put the sword down, but to no avail. It stayed in my hand as if glued there by some unseen force. I must have accepted this new commodity as part of the dream, because I eventually began using it on the shadows. I was pleased to find that the katana swept the shadows away from me and gave me fresh endurance in the face of fear. My ability to fight the shadows triggered an awareness that I was dreaming. As a result, the dream was out of sequence and somewhat disjointed due to my lucid involvement. At one point the dream changed entirely, and I was neither in the mansion nor fighting shadows. I was home. The flood of images I experienced then seemed an attempt to make up for all the dreams I hadn't had in the last several weeks. It was too much for me. I'm not sure what happened exactly, but the next thing I knew I was gasping for air as Vincent gently shook me awake. Alina, he said, as he tried to get me to respond. I'm okay, I replied. I sat up carefully and took several slow, deep breaths. What happened? Vincent leaned against one of the lab chairs and looked at the ceiling. Then he blew out a breath slowly. Everything was going fine, but you suddenly went into some kind of respiratory shock. I have no idea what happened. It came back to me as he spoke. It worked, I told him. I had a katana with a red handle, but once I started using it on the shadows, I became lucid. That's when the dream changed. It was overwhelming, like all the dreams I haven't been able to dream in the last several weeks rushed in at once. I sighed and closed my eyes. But the mod worked. We both said nothing for a moment. I felt rather physically and mentally spent by that point and began to wonder if what had just taken place had been enough to reset my dreamscape. Oddly, I didn't experience any relief at the thought. It worried me. I realized I didn't want the nightmares to cease until I discovered the mystery behind their reoccurrence, and I was still convinced that I needed to descend the stairwell to do so. Let's go, Vincent said to me. I got up automatically and followed him back to his room. Vincent immediately sat at his desk and logged into his computer. I sat on his bed and leaned against the headboard. What if I do the same thing when we log in together, I asked. Hmm? Vincent continued to type. I mean, dream about other things. This might not work at all if I can't keep us in the mansion. One thing at a time, Vincent replied. We'll tackle that problem later. You probably just need some practice keeping yourself in one place. More time lapsed in silence as he worked, and I tried not to fall asleep. I think he forgot I was there. I'm going to my room, I told him as I got to my feet. Mm-hmm. He didn't so much as turn around. Back in my room, I fell onto my bed, too exhausted to think further on the day's events. As I wavered on the point of falling asleep, I could feel the shape of the sword hilt in my hand. It wasn't long before I was again trapped in my nightmare, fleeing from shadows and terror. Only now, I carried a red-handled katana.